Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant, and I'm Ethan. And if this is your first time listening, uh, I guess from the three of us to you, welcome. Uh, if you're new, here's what you need to know. First thing, uh, if you like what you're hearing, or if you've been here for a while and you haven't subscribed, you need to subscribe because you don't want to miss anything. Also, if you're a super dedicated listener, you can find us on any social media platform, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, anywhere where you can find anything. Comment at us. Tell us what uh, what band or what genre, what you want us to look at next. We read those religiously. You can also find us on YouTube. And if you're like the most hardcore, dedicated follower of this podcast, which we have some, you can donate to us on Patreon. Uh, there's a link in the episode. You get exclusive content. You get to hear the episodes before everybody else. And I think my favorite thing is you get uh, exclusive access to our um, secret bonus content called After Hours, where we kind of riff on uh, what we thought about the podcast. Um, but anyways, today, Lucas, uh, you have chosen a band that goes... Uh, very far back uh, in in your musical history. Yes. So a little a little secret. I think I can't remember if I talked about this last episode, but because my birthday is in September, this yep. is like my excuse, my justification to just like pick whatever I want. Yep. I think you talked about that in the after hours. I th- I think so. I, I couldn't remember if it was in the main one or the after hours. So um, Mute Math is the topic of this episode. And mm. they are, I will say, definitely the most obscure band that we've featured on the podcast so far. I would say just about every other band has some kind of big following, either, you know on a big global commercial level, or even maybe with some of our metal bands, they still are, are very big cultural Mm -hmm. icons in the metal world. Um, but this is a band that I picked because I have a very close personal attachment to them. And they've always been one of my favorites. They were really actually my first ever favorite band. When was the first time that you heard uh, Meat Math? So I first heard them, oh, I'm going to say it was in 2005. Wow. And I remember because I went to a Christian school and um, they actually came and did a show at 180, which was our youth group. And this was before their first album came out. They only had an EP. And they gave away a bunch of copies of that EP. And so a bunch of our teachers would actually play it in class 
like while they were doing attendance and <laughs> and I didn't know who they were. I just like I remember I kept hearing these songs. I was just like, hmm, these are good songs. And it's good music. Uh, my point musically at that point in my life, I was in, I would have been in seventh grade. I like didn't listen to any music. Literally, the only music that I listened to were like Star Wars soundtracks and like Weird Al type stuff. <laughs> I was I was almost anti music, which is just crazy to think about now. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until the year after in eighth grade that my dad gave me an iPod just full of music. And he said, son, I'm going to make you listen to this and you're going to thank me for it later. <laughs> and that's when I discovered a lot of my early favorites like Coldplay and Journey and Genesis. Um, but the mute math was on there. Just he didn't. My dad wasn't actually a fan of it. He just had it because, again, they all got stuff from whenever they came to 180. And so I remember putting on, and by that time the first album was on there. I remember listening to it, and that was like the first record that like just blew my mind. <laughs> Where I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is such a finely crafted." piece of music it was the first album that made me a fan of how albums are structured because a lot mm -hmm. of the songs on that record have like little instrumental interludes in between so it's not just like a random collection of songs there's a there's a mood and a it's one of the best paced albums i've ever listened to still the way the the emotional journey that it takes you on were you playing music by like were you like a, a a training musician the time that you heard this? I was just start like literally had just started learning to play drums. And so that was the first thing that really stuck out to me is the drumming. Oh yeah. Because the dr Mute Math's drummer Darren King is probably one of the most underrated drumming monsters ever. <laughs> Yeah, I he noticed is, that. He is so good. Yeah. And I'm I remember hearing it and just going, Wow, I need to learn how to play drums so I can be like that. And the ironic thing is that after all this time drumming, I'm still nowhere near able to play the way that he <laughs> plays. Just because the the style that I pursued was so different. So it's not necessarily mm -hmm. that Darren King was ever an influential drummer for me, but rather kind of the first drummer that I admired. And then shortly after that is when I discovered Neil Peart, and that was like my actual inspirational drummer. But yeah. Darren King, I remember, was the first time I ever paid attention to drumming to where I was just like, wow, this is high level drumming right here. So tell me about. Uh, so they came to 180 with the mm -hmm. EP, but I guess I'm I'm even more curious. Like, was that how they got started? Just kind of going around, just giving away EPs? Like, is that uh, were they just slumming it like that? Well, I I really don't know if they were giving them away. I might have paraphrased a little bit on that. Yeah. I'm sure they probably sold them, but I guess like how did they get started? Like, how long were they were they doing stuff before their first album hit? 
So they were actually the remains of a band called Earth Suit, which was a legit Christian band. And when they formed Mute Math, their goal was to kind of shed that Christian image while still being a band of Christians. They didn't want to advertise. They just wanted to be an alt-rock group. And so um, I would say it was probably about a about a three-year period because um, that first album came out, I believe, in in 06 i can fact check that but um they weren't a band that toiled super long yeah it was 06 um they didn't they didn't toil super long in obscurity they actually i would say when that first album came out they had a couple of things that really they were lucky with that they were able to kind of get past the underground um do you, what what do you mean so their uh their their big song off of that first album was typical and right as the album dropped uh there was a guy on american idol called chris sly and he actually did a mute mouth song and like he made it to like the top 24 where like you know it's you know they've got the full band playing behind them and and he was kind of one of the favorites in that early period. Mm-hmm. And he did a song that everyone didn't know. And he said it was from a, some friends of his called Mute Math. And they rose in popularity after that, uh, after he did that on TV. <laughs> and so they kind of they um, got a big boost from that. And then they got a Grammy nomination for the music video for that song, which is wow. still the best music videos I've ever seen. It's uh, the whole song is played in reverse. Like they, they filmed it and then they played it backwards and the backwards matches up with the frontwards recording of the song. That's cool. And they do some crazy stuff in it, but we'll save a little bit more for that when we get to the songs. Um, so they kind of, they, they were, Build as kind of potentially the next big thing. But kind of the unfortunate thing is that they never got past that point. They were kind of, they kind of stayed on the, the next big thing queue line without actually making it big. Like they never had a big worldwide smash hit or smash record. They kind of always stayed near the top of the underground, but mm-hmm. they, it was like they got it's not a bad place yeah i mean you know they never got to the point where they had to sell out or anything but they also just you know i feel like not as many people know about especially people that weren't around when that first record came out like they were i felt like they were really close to being really big What, what do you think stopped them i think that it was because the follow-up took such a long time to come out. It was almost they lost a little momentum. And the, the second album wasn't uh, regarded nearly as well. Uh, how, how much time? Uh, it was a good three years. Which, mm. I mean, in the alternative world, that's, that's a little bit long. 
and it was supposed to come out a whole year, year earlier than it was, and it kept getting delayed because there was a lot of in-band tensions. Uh, uh, they, all about in-band tensions. Yeah, they said they, they, said okay. they almost broke up during the making of that second record. So before I ask you about the the in band tensions, we need to talk like yes. So so it, honestly, it sounds to me like there's three guys. No, there's actually four. Okay. Um, there's really two principal members, and it's the two founding members, which is Paul Meany, who is the um, the vocalist and the keyboard player, and then Darren King, who's the drummer. They're kind of like the the central part of the band. Okay. They're the ones that started it together, and they're the longest-running members, although Darren King is actually not in the band anymore. Oh, And that, that would be the tension, or result of the tension? No, this actually happened fairly recently. Okay. And then... Um, Greg Hill was their first guitar player. He plays on the first two records. And then he, because of the band tensions, he actually left. uh, Right when the second album came out. So they had to get a new new member for touring for that second record. And then... um, Rory Rory Mitchell Cardenas is the bass player, and he uh, left until was around from the first record all the way up until fairly recently as well. He left at the same time Darren King did, but he also wasn't a founding member, so d- technically Darren was around longer. And so that's kind of the the quote unquote classic lineup. I would say so. The first two records, and then. Um, the only other member we'll see in the songs that we're looking at is uh, Todd Gummerman, who um, comes in on the third record, although he actually doesn't... Uh, on guitar. Yes, although he actually doesn't play any guitar on the third record. He comes in after the record's done. Royal Mit- Roy Mitchell Cardenas does the bass and the guitar on the third record. So, and that makes for a very interesting record, which we'll kind of get a little bit more into the albums, the the three albums that we're looking at in this, uh, in this episode. So So, I want to hear about the journey. I want to hear about the, how did the band deal with, I guess the, I guess I wouldn't say overnight success, but I mean, a band that released the first album that kind of, pops up that quick yeah so it's really interesting and i think that this is one of the most fascinating parts of the band is that in their lyrics through their first three albums you can see their personal stories so like i said they were pretty much a christian band even though they didn't use any spiritual Mm -hmm. lyrics um there's a lot of metaphors in their first EP and in their first album there where it's like, yes, you could see this being about a relationship, but it's not 
you know, baby and honey. It's, you know, it's something that you could also tell that this could be also a spiritual song if you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. It had a little bit of that vagueness to where it blurred the lines a little bit to let allow them to really kind of stand in both worlds. Like they were the, they were the darlings of the Christian community. Yeah. Because they were a wholesome band that didn't have dirty lyrics that, you know, um, that church leaders could say, Hey, don't listen to all that sinful music here. Mute math. This is a great band. You you don't have to hear them <laughs> preach at you, but you know it's still a Christian <laughs> band, and you can hear a lot of that. There's a there's a there's a optimism and a, mm-hmm. a youthful earnest in that first record that they never have gotten back. Because on the second album, it's all about the cynicism and the jadedness that they feel. Pretty much what happens when you start to hit it big. Hmm. Hmm. Um, the whole second record, Armistice, is all about um, doubt. About them starting to question their beliefs. Do I really believe in this? I'm trying really hard to keep my faith, but I feel like I'm losing it. And it's a really somber, sad record and the older i've gotten the more i've really appreciated this record because it's it's hard to come off that first album into this though yes especially when i was a kid and i was wanting a part two because i didn't Mm -hmm. understand artistic growth at that time when i found out this album was coming out i wanted it to sound exactly like the first record the first record was so fun it was so bright it was so poppy even the even the somber part still had this beauty to it Mm -hmm. and then armistice i'm listening to the songs i'm just like what are they doing in in your in your younger self's defense though we've talked a couple times about bands having a transition record mm-hmm. and it they transitioned right off the bat it's very difficult to be like oh we're this way on this album and then now it's like all of a sudden like we're different mm-hmm. yeah so i remember being really upset and it's just now with my a bit of my older brain yeah. coming back to that record i actually find that it it might be just as good as the first record. Yeah. It's mm. just um it's just not as accessible. And I can, you know, just being older and kind of go- going through my own things, it's like I can relate and respect more what they're saying even if I don't agree with it. It's just like I mean, that's still brave of you to even bring up some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're pretty much bold out saying like I don't know what's going on. And so then we get to the third record. And the third record is kind of the the transformation record. Where now they've come out on the other side of it and they're pretty much saying that, you know, we're completely leaving behind what we originally believed but we're 
we're still holding on to the core of it, but we're, it's kind of like new age Christian where they're saying, you know, we don't believe in the legality stuff. It's, you know, that's a lot of that record is about their past and about kind of the, 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 the cynical view they look back on it with. It's, it's a very, it's very good record, but it's one that, again, when my young self listened to it, I was just like, these guys are heathens now. I, we shouldn't <laughs> support them. But now I more understand that it's just they they are looking back on it after having some real life experiences. Does that does uh, does this three album journey uh, have anything to do with the drama internally with the band? Um, I think it plays a part in it. Um, I think that by the time they made that third record, that a lot of the stability had been regained. Mm-hmm. Although now they've completely lost it again, and I don't think they're going to ever recover. Because... So, what, so what was the drama on the second record? So the drama was um, them just being frustrated with the recording process. They made the album and scrapped it several times because they weren't happy with it. And just naturally that created tensions. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a lot of expectation put upon them after this, the record first record did a lot better than most people. Yeah. Anticipated. There's kind of a, come on guys, you know, you got a strike while the iron's hot, you're going to lose your window. Which, in retrospect, was true. Yeah, they. I feel like they kind of did. They didn't. They didn't have that big song like typical on any other record after that. That kind of was almost like their lone big hit, and yeah. even wasn't even that big of a hit. But it was, you know, bigger than what they thought they were going to do. If it was any bigger, we would be calling them a yes. one hit yeah. wonder. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's almost it's almost good for them yeah. that it wasn't bigger. That they didn't end up getting labeled by oh they're the band mm-hmm. typical. And then just I think yeah. that again with their with their personal beliefs kind of starting to really change during this point. Um I just think that it led to a lot of tensions and eventually yeah um, Greg Hill got let go from the band they he was not able to kind of cope with all the stress that was going on and just like you know there's a there's a behind the scenes documentary of them making where they cut out all the bad parts they just kind of show you all the good parts of making that record yeah but you can tell that there's this underlying tension that's pervading everything even when they're trying to look good in front of the camera Mm. Man, mm-hmm. but again, I've kind of after returning, I now see this as a really incredible three album arc. That you see, you pretty much see a band maturing into kind of their what they becoming who they actually want to be instead of what every what they felt that everyone wanted them to be. And kind of the the thing that stands about them now is that yes, they are still Christians. They they didn't like say that we don't believe in God anymore, but they 
kind of have done what a lot of Christian artists I've noticed have been doing lately, where it's like they're abandoning more of like the traditional version of Christianity where it's it's not bound to thou shalt and thou shalt not and um you know the the charismatic movement that everyone that grew up in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s 90s knows about the televangelist the name it claim it the you know all of that stuff which is what they really talk about in that third record about what it was like to grow up in that environment and how it they felt so um, constrained and uh, pressured by it that they felt like if they weren't changing the world that they weren't going to be accepted. And they just kind of were just like, we can let go of that. We don't have to feel condemnation that we're not doing enough Christian things. Cool. I guess it's it was freeing hmm. themselves from the expectations of others and being fine with just being them. That's good, and they should do that. And if, I think, in a sense, like every artist who does that really does become who they are, you know, just in a musical sense, right? Um, and then every once in a while you'll get bands where when they – try to do what they want it ends up being really bad Mm -hmm. right and kind of doing what what the rest of the musical movement was doing was better and so i mean would you say that because of their first album being better do you think it was not beneficial for them to have kind of the the sudden lyrical change Like, do you think do you think the lyrical change manifested itself in the music? Yes, it did. It was definitely a much darker record. It was darker sounding. It was darker lyrically, thematically. Um, okay. I, if again looking back on it now, I see it as a brilliant record, but it's so it's right. so different. And the third record is so different from the second. Like they're mm-hmm. they're changing their sound so much and leaving very little continuity between them that I think that it, it might have been a little too much. I'm not saying that as in mm. they shouldn't have done it, but I think that that's probably a big reason why they were never able to build on their success. The next record was mm. just too alien yeah. from the previous one that there wasn't they weren't able to kind of establish a continuity well the songs that we've picked uh and and again um i mean these songs were releasing what like 2006 2009 like kind of like in 2011 yeah I'm, I was getting like some really heavy, like the Black Keys and Jack White and like that, like you know, mm-hmm. White Stripes kind of stuff. Yeah, you know. And, so, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I, if we're talking about their influence on the genre, uh, I, I guess I don't even know what I would call that sphere of rock. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. But so, it seemed like that was a lot earlier than, like, I knew about Butte Math a lot earlier than I knew about any of those other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, the White Stripes yeah. have been around since the 90s. Yeah. So, um, I definitely, after we listened to the songs, I, I, I couldn't pin mm-hmm. them. They're, they all. are very unique. You know, Unfortunately, they didn't, they didn't have yeah. quite the influence. Like, again, like we talked about with other bands in this, sh- in this show, where we're just like, man, they mm-hmm. really started this movement or they took this movement in a new direction. Right. Where this is a bit of a different episode where we're not as much talking about that. It's going to be a little bit more on let's just look at this band for what they are and the look at the drums, though. Yeah, so I will say the the drum it being like the tension and release like being so dependent on like the the busyness of the drums and then being able to execute that without it sounding bad. Yeah. So I had an epiphany about what what they're going for. And I never realized this until I did the research for this and all of a sudden now a lot of things make sense on their songwriting and and their style to me I now see this band as human electronic music but made in a way that it's meant to be glitching um, DIY electronic because when you look at their stage shed and you watch them play live all of the instruments they play are worn down, intentionally crappy piece instruments. Like all their keyboards are missing keys, held together by duct tape. Um, you know, everything is mismatched colors, and like it's almost like they built and Frankenstein'd all of the instruments that they're playing. See, I thought that that's what kind of what their name would suggest that they were some kind of electronic yeah, and thing. so and that's what they've said is that that's what a lot of their influences were were electronic music and it feels to me that darren king specifically what he makes so powerful is he sounds like a glitching drum machine yeah. because the way that he hit the beats he naturally does are very rhythmic and very almost mechanical but then he adds in accents at the weirdest places he'll all of a sudden stop and come in where you don't expect it and it's just again you listen to it and it sounds like a drum machine that's like glitching in and out and and sounds corrupted but it's a actual person playing instead of you know a computer uh wow you were blowing and so when i realized that i was just like oh my gosh this ties everything together now i understand why they because like they love to pull in these weird synth sounds and put them in random places and like even though you're led to believe with the first song on the set that they're a guitar based group they're really not yeah they're, they're, mm-hmm. The keyboard and the drums are kind of the central part of the sound of Mute Math. And then the guitars are kind of more of an effect, a support. Yeah, that, that first song makes them sound like... James yeah, it kind of does. 
but that fourth and fifth song makes them sound like Soundgarden. Hmm. And so, and that's why it was hard to pick them. Like they sounded like Devin Townsend mixed with Earth, Wind, and Fire mixed with your best friend's alternative rock band. I think they like if they had that the influence that they could have had, um, if they really reached the potential that maybe in your opinion they should have had. And I would agree maybe with this, with my limited understanding of this band and the genre that I'm about to mention. I think they would have put like a new life into the alternative rock movement genre because of, of the different sounds that they make, but they make it seem to me accessible. And I mean, I listen to, you know, crazy stuff. So it's hard to not have anything mm-hmm. be accessible yeah. to me, but it, but it sounds very, it sounds like pop, but like the good kind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's probably why you like Okay, okay. Yeah, don't no, take no, it the wrong way. In my opinion, the good Well, the melody, the good the, like the vocal and melodies. I think, I, I, I think that's why you yes. like it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's. I think that it's a really cool what if with how that second record happened. Really, the whole thing hinges mm-hmm. on it. Because that first record, gosh, dang, it's so good. There's not a single weak song on the whole thing. It's a brilliant record from start mm-hmm. to finish. Um, and I think that had the second record not been such a turn, yeah. that I think they could have been the leaders of a new branch of indie music. Yeah, they I should think, have because then I might I might spend a lot of time listening to yeah. the genre. Then I think that they had a really unique sound. Like they they weren't just someone that just sounded like everyone else. They they had a very unique um, modem operandus where it was just like the way that they approach songwriting and playing was so different from what everyone else was doing that they could have cornered the market or at least been the, the leaders of a really cool new movement. And again, I think mm-hmm. that the second album just really, and it's, it's so hard to say that because it's, it is so good. But again, I think it's what we were talking about earlier where it's like, established bands whenever they want to change they'll do a trans like we talked about this a couple weeks ago uh where it's like okay here i think it was the opeth episode where it was Uh like okay here's like a half and half record where we're moving this way Mm -hmm. but we're still doing some of this there's a little bit of for everybody and then the, the record after that like they had kind of eased everyone into it i think it's difficult for a band to go from this kind of like um I hate to say pop rock, like this pop alternative rock, really positive vibes. You're really jamming on it, you know? Uh And then the next record, especially, uh, again, I know this isn't like a blatantly Christian podcast or anything, but it's like you have an audience that is like, you know that your audience is mostly Christian. And, And even the people that aren't Christians are listening to your music because your music is a certain way. And then for your second record to come out and be like, I guess, both theologically offensive and like such a big musical departure is 
probably, I mean, from an artist standpoint, it's like, I guess, good that you're writing your truth or whatever. But, you know, it's it's not hard to see why the second record wasn't well as well received. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even Mm. if it is technically really good. That would be Mm -hmm. like, I think you guys had an episode on death where it's like, it's like okay, you're doing your thing, and then if the, if they released a, a a Michael Bublé, you know, sounding album yeah. the second time through, they would just be like, they'd be like, well, obviously, even if it is really good, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, you know, it's just not gonna work. And I think that also that second record could have worked had the first record been a monster yeah. huge success. It was like the first record was just big enough to kind of create a little bit of okay well we're gonna keep my eye on you guys just big enough to get people to gauge you on the second record Mm -hmm. and then yeah i think think it was a bit of a turnoff for people that were just kind of like well okay i might be interested oh never mind i think ethan brings up a good point with the transition i mean you think about like metallica in 1983 released kill them all and that was just a bunch of speed and thrash metal that was just that's all it was and when they came out with ride the lightning they only had one song that was different that was fade to black and people hated it because it wasn't you know harder better faster more solos you know like the first record but by the time they got to master of puppets they were able to put on things like orion and things that you know like cliff really wanted and then we look back to fade to black as like a a metallica essential it would yeah and yeah we look back like that now because of the impact that it had on uh their trajectory and I, i think you're right that if mute math had an album in between there and and maybe that's just the fact that because they wanted all their music to be so unique they had less material you know like why did it really take three years for them to write their second album yeah and there's man there's some songs that got lost like they're they had released a couple of uh, some what's the word i'm thinking of advanced singles that sound like a continuation of that first record like there's a song i remember that they released in between because i was i mean i was foaming at the mouth for that second record when i was a kid like i thought i was gonna die if i didn't hear it i wanted it so badly and when they released about probably halfway through that waiting period they released a song called clockwork and I was, and I loved it. I was just like, "Yes, the new record's going to be great." The song's not even on the album, and yeah. and you know that Clockwork contained the the spirit, although with a bit of an evolution off that first record. And then you put on the second record. I remember the first track. I was just like, oh, "Okay," and then the second track. I was like, "Uh oh," and then the third track is like the big heavy emotional like i'm doubting what i believe in song and i turned it off i was just like no i i can't believe they did this to me but i i I feel like that sentiment was shared on everyone that was really digging the first record i feel like ever like more people than just you were were Mm -hmm. it it's like you're unable to 
to appreciate it for what it is because it's it's so different from what you're expecting and i don't know because some bands and i would say to for me cold play falls in this category where cold plays a certain way for a little bit and then they take a pretty drastic turn you know yeah. and then they'll do uh-huh. something and then they'll take another pretty drastic turn but like they've they they've already been established for so long that they can take drastic turns and still have elements of themselves in it and i know what that yeah. is mute mm-hmm. math you can't have you can't have you can't present yourself to the world and then present another yourself to the world whenever you haven't established like a through line uh-huh what, what makes mute cold play at that point the, we don't really know yeah the thing about cold play that they had for them was that parachutes was gigantic right when it came out yeah and so because of that, they had so much goodwill into Rush of Blood to the Head. But Rush that... of Blood wasn't even like a – I wouldn't even say Rush of Blood was like so different. No, but it was definitely different yeah. because there's there's not much acoustic element to it. It's a much more symphonic, weird record. But be, But again, yes, there was enough similarity that, you know, after that album – really once they made that second bigger album then they got the opportunity to do whatever they wanted yeah because they had built trust they can they can and also there's such good songwriters that they can make it as weird as they want while still retaining a good song underneath Mm -hmm. it yep yeah was that an insult to mute man no i just i think (laughs) that had again had there maybe been an album in between the self-titled right. and Armistice, a, a more transitional record. I think that they could have been huge, mm-hmm. and I it's think kind it, of sad to think about. I think it just comes down to like a band has to establish an identity, because uh, yeah. as much as as much as I hate to like compare bands to like companies, it's like I go listen to Cold. I listen to Coldplay because their songwriting is good. I listen to Rush because their music is advanced or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people ha- categorize bands like that where it's like, I'm feeling sad. Yeah. I'm going to go listen to X or I'm feeling angry. So I'm going to go listen to, or metal, Players. metal attracts a certain kind of person. Pop attracts a certain kind of person. And I think Mute Math with their first album attracted people that were looking for a certain sound and and then kind of uh musically kind of pulled the rug out from under everybody even even though oh yeah even if um they didn't establish a brand even if it was in good um good intention and trying to stay true to themselves they changed they they changed um to quickly because i agree with lucas if, if they would have released a first record that was even more similar to the second one i guess only i guess we'll never know if it even would have been successful in the first place but yeah i mean this is all what if and here's the crazy thing the third album has less in common with the second than the second does with the first i remember listening to odd soul for the first time and literally being confused. Like, <laughs> did someone give me the wrong album and said it was Mute Math? Like, it was it was a gargantuan shift 
like to where it was it might as well have been in a completely different band again it's one that as time has gone on i've really come to love that record and that's really the curious thing is that at the end of the day they're making really good records but they just they they almost hurt themselves by chasing their own youth mm-hmm. a little too much. But I think because Chris Martin has, has, I mean, he he um, he says that like he loves writing for Rihanna. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like Chris Martin has written a bunch of stuff for a bunch of pop artists that, and he's like, I I would never write this song for Coldplay. But I still love writing it. I just, whenever I write it, I know that Rihanna would be great on it and it fits her. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a musical maturity there where it's like, at, as a songwriter, you can write a bunch of different stuff and you can enjoy a bunch of different stuff. But like, as a band, it's like people come to you for something. And and you can't just yeah I think I think you put it in a good way chasing the muse you know where it's like oh well I'm inspired by this all of a sudden so if I release this um, then you know it's my band and I can do whatever I want to and it's like you can but you know yeah. you, you got to lead your fans with you and and sometimes you just don't have enough trust in the bank to make moves like that yeah. It's really kind of sad. I know, but I mean, the good thing is that now, kind of after, it, it kind of does feel like their story's over. Paul Meany is the only member left in the band. And then, you know, with quarantine, like it's shut down anything that they're able to do. It really feels like the band dead. Who knows? Maybe there's a glorious resurrection coming. A um, fourth album. Well, no, there's actually been two more albums released since then. Oh, oh my goodness! But they're be, but they're not good. One of them that's represented. They're they're not they're not good. Oh, they're not represented at all. No, like no redeeming factors. I mean, yeah, there's there's a couple good songs here and there on them, but at th- it's just like yeah. at that point, that's when they they stopped being really creatively interesting. They just kind of started writing like generic sounding synth songs they pulled a boston they had a great first record and (laughs) then tanked so i mean that's it's true i mean there i'm sure there are people that like the fourth and the fifth records and there, there are brief moments of of greatness on them where i'm just like there's the old mute math but like the drums, like Darren King's playing, I'm sure it's a big reason why he left the band. It's just like he was asked to play more straight. And it's just, it's at that point, the fourth and fifth records just sound like an album that any other artist in the genre would make. They lost their uniqueness. Man. But the first three records, as different and as disjointed from each other as they are, they're still individually three great records. And I will always love Mute Math for um, making them, especially like I I owe almost everything that I do now musically to that first Mute Math album. It's why after all 
that I've gone through all of the music, I still say that that first record is probably still a contender for being my favorite record of all time. Just because so of here's its influence the, in your life. Yes. I can still put it on. Like, putting it on again after mm-hmm. doing the recent episode, it was like a it was an old glove that still fit. I, st- I hadn't listened to the songs in a couple years. I still knew every word. I knew every drum hit. Yeah. Like, it was just, I was just like, ah, uh, I remember this. Yep. Yeah, that's how I am with the Rush albums. <laughs> that's how I, uh, that's how I am with the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the real question. You obviously don't like their recent music. Do Do they still enjoy it? It doesn't feel like it. I watched a I watched a live performance from like 2016, and they just they looked like they hated being up there. That's sad. I know. At that point, like, quit. Like, if you're not enjoying, I think music, that's you know? the irony. Though, is that the irony? The irony to me is the the whole reason that they departed from their sound and their message in the first place was because they didn't feel like they were being true to themselves but now like in this weird kind of way like after all of that they're like still not being true to themselves like they still hate it mhm it's it's almost like they after that third record of trying to be super experimental and not getting anywhere, they're just like, fine, we'll play the game the industry's way. That's kind of what it feels like. And yeah. I think it's a big reason why both Darren King and Rory Mitchell Cardenas left um, in 2017. <laughs> what are they doing? Just, what are they doing? Uh, I don't know what they're doing. I have seen uh, that... Uh, Mitchell Cardenas has been doing like online bass teaching, but I don't think he's in any other bands. I don't. I think Darren just like went home to like be a family man, hmm. and and just yeah, it's just Paul by himself, and that's a really sad thing to think about because he hasn't he hasn't shut the band down, but he doesn't have any other members. It's literally Since just him. What year? What do you mean? What year? What year since since? So 2017 is when he became the sole member, and he's been the sole member ever since. Mm. And they've released a couple of of standalone singles of just him, and it's just like, what's happening? It's just it's 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 completely lifeless. Yeah. That is just some people can write music on their own, you know, but apparently he's not it. I don't think Mute Math can. I think there was there was something magical about them coming together. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we head on to the next segment? I think we touched on plenty. Yeah. I'm ready to talk about my favorite parts of Me these too. songs because I yeah. a lot for all that we've to... talked about the sadness of mute math. Uh, I I was telling uh, Luke Singret before. It's like I, I and still even right now as I'm recording, I'm still trying. I'm looking at the songs right now. I'm like there are four 
out of six contenders for my favorite songs on the playlist so Mm -hmm. the the songs are good so uh stay tuned for this next part all right um we will be right back and when we come back we're going to be doing the talking about the songs so stay tuned When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Mute Math and their rather tragic career. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we've selected for this episode. So, for those of you who are brand new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. And second of all, Lucas, could you explain to them why do we have six songs? Yes, so the songs are our way to kind of geek out about the band, to talk concretely you know we can talk about what they sound like and what the songs mean all we want but then when we actually talk about the songs it's our opportunity to really just get into the nitty-gritty of the band and um this is of introducing you to the band if you're unfamiliar with them or if you only know like one or two songs these six songs are going to be your best first step into the band um as well as I select them in a way to where there's an emotional flow to them. They transition well. Again, Mute Math was kind of the first band to teach me about that. So it's all very fitting that it's something that still is important to me today. Um, That I'm not just picking like, what are my six favorites or what are the six best ones? It's meeting those criteria. It's, a good first step as well as a set that flows well. And so the way that you can listen to these songs is there is a link in the description of the episode that takes you to a Spotify playlist and you will get to hear not only these songs, but all the songs from our previous episode. Well, so make sure you go listen to them and uh, something new that I've started to do. Um, Part of my research, and this has really helped me a lot, is I've started to make playlists where I take the band that we're talking about, their songs, and I rank them from worst to first. Now, obviously, when someone does this, there's a lot of bias that is involved. I try to keep my bias out of it, but it's going to obviously seep in. But I think it provides for an extra bit of interesting... um, knowledge so that is also going to be um in our spotify profile i'll make sure i put a link to that in the episode description as well and we'll talk about kind of where our our songs fit on my list so um i think we can go ahead and get to the first song ethan you were kind of already before we started the segment going off about this song so i'll let you kind of have the first say on it yeah so the first song is typical and 
That's the name of the song. That's the name of the song. The <laughs> um, this was their breakout hit on that first record, and we talked a lot about that in the last segment. Mm-hmm. But I was talking about lyrically, just musically, everything about the song is so good. But now knowing about the history of the band, it's like this song kind of like very ironically and a little bit sadly like encapsulates like it's like a snapshot of like their best, like them at their best. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would say that I, I think I think that this is the song that represents them the best, even though I, the, the whole playlist is amazing. But like whenever I listen to this, it's just like, it's so mute math because this is like the song that I define them by. Yeah. In my own memory. There's just everything that I would expect out of you hear. We talked about that through line. If you take this song as the standard, then you can draw a through line through all the other songs with this song. And, and I'm sad that Mute Math didn't like realize that about this song at the time to be able to do mm-hmm. that and be like, this is our sound and everything should be measured by how typical was not necessarily in, in the way that it's successful, but in like drawing a through line without like, yeah. the drums and the energy of the vocals and that the guitar tone is so good. It is. I don't know. I don't know if I like that guitar tone, but it definitely fits the sound and the feel yes. of the song. How do you feel about this as a set opener? Oh yeah, I would. Holy I cow, yeah. I knew whenever you did mute math, I'm like, he's either going to put typical as the first song and the last song, but why? Why not last? Well, I mean, that's actually where they typically no pun intended, <laughs> put it in their concerts. They usually save it as kind of the big song at the end. Mm-hmm. But for me, I felt like I could have a much more powerful emotional punch with the songs that I do when I put this first. I think that this is this is a great song, again, in the mindset of someone that doesn't know Mute Math. You're going to get clued in very quickly what kind of band mute math is. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, pussyfooting around. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, that guitar hits you right in the center of the eyes and you've got that, them counting off to four, the the I hats. And I mean, it's just, we're off. Oh yeah. I think this was great as a set opener because the way that emotionally, at least for me, this set flows is Typical is like a, a, a kind of like a mid-afternoon, high-energy, outdoors song. And as we go through the set, the day progresses and we get to the sunset and then the sun is setting. And now it's, you know, it's in the middle of the night and, you know, th- that's just um, emotionally, that's kind of how it went for me and i think this fit very well as being the opener for that yeah just because of the fact that it does sound like you know jane's addiction it sounds like stop really Mm -hmm. and and it has that same feeling you know stop sounds like what Lollapalooza is obviously because they started it but this song does as well yeah they also got a lot of uh you two 
yeah uh, with the song they were kind of that's what yeah. i started to say that i was just like oh they're gonna be the next u2 because oh, specifically u2 sense. at that period of their career they were that's kind of how they were sounding kind of big loud guitars you know vertigo was the big hit of that previous year and yeah. so when you hear a song like vertigo and typical there's kind of some similarity there mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Just this. This song. I mean, we we talked about it in the previous segment. You know, Chris Sly doing it on tip on a uh, American Idol was a huge hit for them. They even put this song on Rock Band, so I can still play this song on the game. Which is like, I'm I, I pooped my pants when I discovered that as a kid. <laughs> I'll, I was just like, oh my gosh, you can buy this as DLC? Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, and then the, the, the music video also just helped continue to push the song up. The, I would recommend, guys, go watch the music video for this song. It's so good. There's just like, like I said, it's backwards, so it's they actually learned how to play the song backwards, because they're because while they're on the set, the song is being played backwards while they're filming forwards. And then when they oh, reverse funny. everything, they're the ones that are backwards while the song plays forwards. That's cool. I remember and, uh, Rob Scallon doing that with the Inner Sandman cover. He actually recorded the stuff backwards and, and sang it all backwards. But, like, you know, just, just mining the stuff backwards. Who? Darren King drums the song backwards. I don't know That's how he did not it. Okay, never mind. Because doing the guitar riffs backwards shouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I'm Darren just King. Like... Just, he, I don't know how he did it, but also like they do so many cool visual things. Like it's not just them standing playing the song. Like when you start the song, the whole set is completely trashed. And you find out as the video goes on how everything got trashed. Oh, and by the end of the cool. song, the set is clean. Yeah, it's cool. And so it's just like you see them and they're all like got stained shirts. And like at some point in the song, like you see them like um, reverse spilling bottles of orange soda all over themselves. And um, you see them like with paintbrushes and the paint's going back onto the paintbrushes. And. And you see them, him reassembling his keytar right before the chorus kicks in, where he actually plays it. And it's just there's a, so many cool things that they do, and it's just it's such a genius music video. And that de- again, they got a Grammy nomination for that video, so um, that definitely helped as well. So yeah, this is kind of the iconic song for them. And it's just, it's a simple, like, just hard rock. But, like, it still has that that early to mid Christian rock vibe. Like, do you guys remember, I don't, I mean, Grant, you're not going to remember because you were just a, a baby at this time. But when, Ethan, when we were, like, 12 and 13 years old, like, all the stuff that was playing, like, Switchfoot. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's that's the feel Reliant you get something K. Like Reliant K, yeah, all that stuff. Where it's just the like all, a lot boys. of these bands. That, 
yeah, all these bands that kind of towed the line of Christian and secular, yep. but that you could get away with at playing at church and at youth conferences. <laughs> like this song is, is an anthem of that style where it's just, it's even though it's brazen, hard guitar, it still has such a happy atmosphere yeah. to it. I like there's it. Nothing, there's nothing like dark in this song. It's It's just a pure shot of fun yep Mm -hmm. i i really like you can hear through the through the uh verse melody specifically they understand intervals they understand what the different uh major uh major or minor not accidentals but the the what the what the feelings of the major third and and the major six and seventh have on a vocal melody uh, it's, it jumps all over the place in the sense and yet when you really map it out on a piano it that vocal melody is not going anywhere but it sounds like he's doing some crazy things that he understands vocal melody so well maybe he got lucky or maybe this was just something that they crafted and took a lot of time to get just right i'd like to think it was the second one but judging on their track record it might be the first Mm, i don't know i still think these guys are musically brilliant i think like we said that that was the musical brilliance was actually kind of what was their downfall a little bit they were they were willing to chase it wherever direction it went but but that being said they understand it's not just the sound it's not just the sound that's carrying them it's not just that great guitar tone and just you know his voice which is really amazing which i don't think yeah. we even touched on oh yeah no he's got a great voice um it's it's, I, it's the fact that they're able to actually just write on paper good music yes and that's and that's how they get on the good music podcast right <laughs> um what's what are your guys uh, we'll start ethan what's your standout moment of this song just, I feel like it would be highway robbery not to just admit that the lead guitar is the is the central point of the song. It, it's really it like it's just the drums are are great, the bass parts are great, but it's just like there's a reason why it breaks down for a little bit and then they it, it, like. They they kind of mellow out, and then whenever they want to go back into it, they just let that guitar be the standalone thing. Because whenever you hear that line, you're just like, "Oh yeah, like we're about to go back into it." Because that mm-hmm. that is the song to me. Like, typical is not a hit without everything about that guitar part being what it is. Yeah, like I I would kind of piggyback on my my favorite moment of the song is when they kind of go down to that mm-hmm. that call the middle eight of the song the bridge yeah where it mellows out a little bit and again you kind of have that um that classic mute math of just like these weird electronic sounds going around yeah. you but then when as when that guitar yeah. and it just back, sucks you back in yep i think that that was such so brilliant how they did that and you like and it goes through it twice and you're just like i'm ready I'm and that ready big drum fill back into the yeah back into the crit the chaos the base what about really you, good. Grant? i'm gonna be really basic and 
say that it was the vocal melody because that verse melody has gotten stuck in my head over and over and over yeah, all the time. I find myself myself trying to sing it, but I don't know the words. And so I end up doing that. Yeah. Um, and yeah yeah i'm just gonna leave it at that i can just keep going but i'm just gonna leave i would say my second favorite part of this song is the very very end when he's like screaming like typical oh yeah that's that's a cool like whenever that hits i'm just like oh that's so good (laughs) (laughs) it's just like yeah just everything it's almost like just the noise is just starting it's almost like it's starting to uh like almost turning into white noise a little bit yeah but and then it just and then it just sucks you right back out at the yep. end hmm. a, a great way i think to kind of end the first song of our set and transition us to the second song which is the title track of the second album armistice this was me think of oceans 11 yeah okay wait what Okay, I I know what you mean, Ethan. I never <laughs> thought that before, but now I don't think I can unhear that. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, oh yeah, I was fine. This was a this was the song that made me want them to sound like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Not want them to sound like Earth, Wind, and Fire, but make them think, make me think that the rest of this set was going to turn into a giant, you know, brass section deal which it it didn't end up being but this song was still really good and the rest of the songs were still really good so like that that has nothing to do with the, with you know whether or not they end up turning out well um be just oh, I, I forgot to say that i put typical as number six on my oh. ranking list six of on a scale of one the best six the worst as, no, as in as in as in sixth place, so it's sixth best out of all Mute Math songs, or out of these six, out of every Mute Math song ever made. Wow. Okay. I put typical at number six, and I put Armistice at number seven. Ooh. Okay. Now it there is kind of the there's there's more than just the four main instruments plus voice. Yes, they actually did get a brass band to come in and play with them. Okay, so it is, okay. It's did, not fake or computer or synth or anything like that. They actually did, hired some guys to come in. Did they, but it's the, only, it's the only song on the album they play on. Did they write their parts for them? I don't know. Okay. The, the kind of the, the, the sucky thing about when a band is still this small is that there's just not a wealth of information about every song. I have a I have a feeling it was probably collaborative. It Some of these horn parts are pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah, I have a feeling that he was kind of like he gave them an idea of what to do, but then was just like, "You guys just do what you need to do to make this sound cool." Yeah, that bass, there were, that bass drives the whole song, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is kind yeah. of our first time we can really start to talk about Rory Mitchell Cardenas and how incredible of a bass player he is. The bass in this song is just, like, disgusting. In a good way. Yes. <laughs> I like it. And it doesn't – it's like the bass parts are busy, but it 
but I, but I'm not distracted by it because like I love the funk genre. And yeah. Sometimes funk can get in this place where I'm just like, can the bass player just like chill out for a second? Like it's getting yeah. like in the way, you know. Whenever I listen to this, it, it, I think it's the way it's mixed, and I think uh, the drummer actually doesn't. I mean, he he's not going off like he was on typical. Like I feel like on typical, he was a lot more center stage. It's just good. It's just good musicianship to let what needs to be up front be up front. The groove of this song is really good. Oh, yeah. It gets you dancing. It's one of those that, like, you cannot help but at least tap your foot. Mm hmm. And then we once again have just some great vocal melodies. That chorus is. Oh, yeah. Really good. That chorus. Yeah. You don't don't have to say it. I know. You know? Mm hmm. I don't even know what he's talking about, but like, I'm singing. I can fill you in on that. Yeah, fill us in on that, actually. So, this is the song about the the pressures of making this album and the fights that they were having between each other. Yes. So, you know what an armistice is, right? Yes. So, it's it's a ceasefire. It's pretty much this song is about how they got through making this record. It was about the f- fact of I'm so sick of arguing that I'm just going to take the blame. I know it's all my fault. I'll take the fall if it takes us somewhere. Just like, fine. I'm Neither of us are going to win, so I'll just lose so we stop fighting. I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to be at peace about it. I'm just going to say you won so that way we can just get on with it. So it's a little, it's in a cynical way. I think that the, it's, you don't have to say it. I know it's all my, I think that's a sarcasm. I think that he's, I'll take the, the specifically that line of I'll take the fall if it takes us somewhere is shows what his motive is for saying that he's, he's saying, um, you know, it's almost like he's lying. He's saying, he's telling the person, okay, it's my fault. But inside he's, knows that he's just doing it to, to get progress. It has nothing to do with just taking the blame because you don't want to fight with the other person. It's taking the blame because you don't want to fight with the other person because you just want to di- get what you want. Yeah. It's just, it's about a... It's, let's just say that I might be a sucker for progress. It's all in how you cope in spite of knowing. It's just... Hmm. You know, swallowing the blame is second nature. I got to keep on handling my business my way. It's just, it's kind of, it's just about a, it's a passive person that's just gets fed up with the fighting. But at the same time, I think it's interesting that they disguise such a, such a cynical song and such a danceable groove. Mm-hmm. That's really weird those songs really mess with your head because you get to singing along and dancing along. And then it's like, wait a minute, this is what I've been singing the whole time, Mm -hmm. but you never thought of it that way. And so it it goes back to the whole listener artist separation thing. Yeah. The give and take is taking its toll. Like Billie Jean is one of those songs for me. Yeah. Where I knew of that song and I knew that song 
And I loved that song long before I knew what it was about. And when I found out, I was like, how could such a bopping song be about something <laughs> like that? You know? Mm -hmm. That's sad, but also kind of cool. Yeah. More sad to me. I love the last 45 seconds of this song. Was that, oh, yeah, that was that like weird violin thing, and the drums kind of just go off. Yeah, on, that's on that that's, that, that's kind of you know. Again, we talked about how there was a sometimes a lack of a through line. There are certain things that like are very characteristic of mute math, and one of those is the is the jam sections that they'll often go into, and they're Whereas, weird. But they're yeah, good. they're always weird. And this is where I think that just that electronic influence yeah. comes in as they get on to where it's it's almost like it's it's looping but they never loop it in a natural way there's always something strange going on because yeah it's like a weird contorted version of the song at the end where it's like mm -hmm. it's still the song but it's not and i'm just like yeah i love that <laughs> 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 so would you say that's that's your standout moment that's my standout like uh, of course the second that the song starts you're just like oh gosh we're like we're we're in you know they're taking me to funky town right now yeah and then I, uh, but it's like right as i get comfortable in that jam and i'm like yeah and, and of course i i can see how much time is left i'm like all right i'm ready for that you know that double chorus or taking back to the bridge or whatever and then it like breaks down to that weird violin whatever you know, or like whatever that electric guitar slide is. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what's making that noise. And and they're just going, and then they just kind of just cut out. And I'm just like, what? Where are we going now? <laughs> and then they take me somewhere new, and I appreciate it. Well, there you go, Grant. Yeah. My favorite part of the song yes. was probably, honestly, the the chorus. Just because of the fact that there are so many active layers. So many things that were doing complicated, syncopated things that shouldn't go together. But because of the fact that they're all actually different instruments, you know, it it becomes a wash of just funk and jam and just having fun you know it had it had it been a bunch of um you know like guitars playing it it would have sounded terrible uh -huh. but you know there was a guitar part and there's a brass part and of course there's the vocal uh, syncopation on that was perfect it was the same every time but it felt fresh every time um and yeah, and that bass line of course. Uh is this, this song reminds me of Jamiroquai. Yeah, it kinda does. Like once you start getting this hit, you're just like, okay. I, I hear some Jamiroquai influence in there. Mm-hmm. I, I promise you that my favorite parts get more nuanced yeah. as, we, <laughs> as we go along. Not gonna be always the, the chorus. <laughs> But it was the second it chorus. It was. It honestly was. It's a good chorus. Oh my god! It's a good yeah, chorus. because it would get stuck in my head. 
you know, and the parts that get stuck in the head, your head, the parts that you remember really are at the end of the day, your favorite parts. Mm -hmm. Because you keep playing it over and over again in your head because you want to experience it again. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the intro. I love the way that this song builds up. Mm. I love the, the uh, I love the weird kind of clapping syncopation that goes on before the snare roll, and then just as the song continually reveals itself, it just it continues to add things you don't expect. Especially, it gets big, and then you think it's going to go into the verse, and then the horns come in. You're just like, oh, yeah. And I just I love how the how it just kind of slowly reveals itself showing us truly what the song is so mm-hmm. what you were saying ethan with how the song abruptly starts and takes us into a different direction mm-hmm. what direction does that take us in? wait say that again for armistice yeah so pretty much leading us into our next song oh blood pressure it, yes it's a weird um <laughs> oh man it's hard to so whenever I got to blood pressure in in my opinion blood pressure is the most different of, oh, the, for of sure. the six and so I appreciated kind of being in that weird drum vibe thing from Armistice and then it kind of coming down and then all of a sudden we're kind of hit with that guitar line coming in the um I'm trying to remember how the, the yeah it's a very bluesy song it is and that's kind of what yeah, this song kind of surprised me, me. yeah yeah I, I will say this song to me sounded it it not only sounded the most different from the other songs but it sounded the most generic it sounded like another band could have written this and already has. Yeah. And, and, so, and to me, even though it was really like, it was still a good song. And it's just, I feel like they got a little bit too obsessed with the tritone that it ended up impeding some things and, and impeding some other creativity that I think they could have had. Um, that I feel like if they hadn't used the tried tone at all, it would have been a better song. I, I liked the the bend, like that blues bend. Right, but but also with the vocal melody. You know, when he, he harps yeah. on that tritone a little bit too much. And that's that may just be my personal taste where I'm always used to the tritones being really you know, ominous and something yeah. there that's that's supposed to catch your ear instead of just being kind of funky. You yeah, know? that's a really blues. That that's a really blues. Like this song has a is a really yeah. blues vein with, with that tritone. Right. Yeah, that's. But, I think it but, just means you probably don't listen to much blues. Maybe I, I would say I felt the same as you. Like whenever I listened to this, like it was kind of in the verse, and I was like. Okay, this is kind of like a chill, you know. Like I'm probably not gonna like this song very much. I and then I realized it was it was like the verse is necessary for what they do in the chorus. 
Because as I was listening to it, I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. And then they just, like, smack you in the face whenever you get to the chorus. And I was like, whoa! Like, and like this is where i was getting the big black keys vibes and then, yeah. and then they just break it all the way back down and the, and then like the step the, the time that we went on the second verse i was like oh yeah this is pretty good <laughs> yeah because the, the first the, the first verse i was like this isn't that good and then the, the chorus got me and then this and i was in the second verse i was like okay this is pretty good <laughs> yeah um so this was uh the first single released for odd soul and remember this was the one where i talked about how like you were confused this song was like it was so i was like am i even listening to mute math anymore um and this was so this was the first single that we got to hear i remember hearing it, and i was just like oh what the heck is happening uh, but this song has grown over me on me over time and um i when i reveal the ranking it's going to sound like it's a bad ranking but that does show that there are a lot of strong mute mouth songs the song is number 18 on my uh on my ranking <laughs> but that that sounds like but i have accurate. good songs all the way up to like 40 so you know that's not saying that it's a bad song, but you know, for me, this song just feels right in this position. Mm-hmm. It helps us continue to get where we want to go. This but... feels like uh, we had the Queen episode last time. This feels like a song that was written to be a live transition song. Ye- yeah, this song actually, I did get to see them live on this tour. Like this feels this... like a song where it's like this song would like slay live. Oh, it does. Um, and then also to me, the most interesting part of the song are the lyrics. Yes, I noticed that. I was about to say, I think the thing that redeems it for me is that play on words with the yeah with the title. Uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can guess. Okay, yeah, go for it. It has something to do with um conditional love and appreciation. Pretty much. And so you feel pressured, whether by blood, by relation, or blood, by religion, referring to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's like the the organized religion or the church or whatever is wanting you to obey the rules so you can get the perks of whatever – and then also like you want to be like be like your older brother you know mm-hmm. your blood relative why don't, you, why don't you do a little more for jesus right exactly and so you're being pressured by whatever blood there is to do better and guess blood and guess pressure. what goes up when you feel that anxiety yeah your blood your blood pressure. pressure am i right yes that's the, you hit the nail on the head there okay good wow I whew. the lyric that I, I really could, I, could be, I could be an art critic. Yeah. The the, <laughs> the lyric that I really like is um will help you out on one condition, be more, do yes. more. Which I think yes. is so ironic and so true of people that act like that of saying mm-hmm. just like, you know, like you just got to do one thing and that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just all I want you to do is completely change everything that you are and do exactly what I want you to do. And and then if you just did that, we'd be fine. <laughs> um so yeah, this is like I was explaining, this is the album where they're they're not as much doubting anymore and now they're really putting a microscope on all the things that they saw that were wrong in their upbringing and in the culture that they were brought up in. And probably also a bit of what they felt as they were getting popular. This could have also been criticism from their own family and friends when they were not being a good Christian band anymore. Telling them that you're not you're not singing songs for the Lord. You must, you know, you need to get back on the right path, son. And this yeah. could have been their response to them at that time, not just maybe when they were growing up. So I think that there's just that whole – it's really kind of the concept of the whole record. But I think that that's it, – it, that viewpoint gives the groove a little bit more of a, of a menace. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. It, it makes it seem like they are really just totally making fun of the person singing. Mm-hmm. Like it, they're saying it sarcastically, as if you're supposed to understand that this is completely wrong what they're saying. Yeah, like he's using he's using his high pitched voice almost like yeah to mock them. Wait, why can't you be like your older brother? Kind of almost in that way. Yeah. But yeah, this is this song is is a little more of a grower, but. It it grows, I think, into a really, really cool, powerful yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. I would say at this point in the set, we are kind of getting later in the evening, but the sun has not quite set yet. But I think that as we stare at the sun, <laughs> we will watch it meet the horizon and we'll slowly get to the... Uh, the evening and eventually the night with this two song melody that's coming up. Yeah. Melody. Mel- medley. Medley, yeah. medley. I freaking love this song. This song is so good. This is a good song. This is a good song. Now, can, it's it, like, how can I not put this as my favorite song? It, that's kind of. Which, which is what you said about typical. Which is exactly what I said about typical. Yeah. Like, well, this is from the same album, so that goes to show you, you know. Yeah, yeah man, no there's just show. there's there was something in the water when they made that first album. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly, you know, again, like we're talking about how good a song, I still only put this as number fifteen on my list. Wow. I get I get some real Soundgarden vibes from this one. Um. It sounds like Black Hole Sun. A really, really happy Black Hole Sun. <laughs> Um, uh, really? Yeah, like I don't. I didn't get happy vibes from it. I always got kind of a. I mean, yes, it's a bit more of a. To me, this is almost kind of like the the point of perspective is a bit more of kind of humor. I I I kind of never got a, a sinister vibe from that song, which is what I think makes it so effective when all of a sudden it changes when we get to the next song 
the complete the it was almost like a light switch happens. Yeah. Uh, and and, it, and but it was so subtle that I didn't notice it. But anyway, yeah, we, we can get to that yeah. We'll we'll explain there. that transition more in a minute because I think that's it's one of the best parts of the set. Oh yeah. So this song to me is just it's it's more fun. I, it's kind of to me it's a bit like we kind of had a bit more of anger and blood pressure and now it's kind of like we can it's almost like we can take a breather for a minute almost like yeah almost like we we got away from uh we got away from the from the darkness back into the light but then the kind of the trick is is that the 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 darkness kind of sneaks back up again I, very subtle i thought you noticed I don't really get light side vibes from this other than in the chorus. I don't even get it there because he says, and we stare at the sun and there doesn't seem anything there. It almost seems like he's staring at the sun, like he's looking for hope or something, but it's not there. It's interesting. I've never, I've never gotten dark vibes from this song. I've always just seen this as kind of like a, a bright, fun song. And you guys are not wrong for thinking it's, that. It's, this this it's, is now when our different perspectives really the song, come into play. It, and I, that's what I, I agree with Grant because it's like to me, like to stare at the sun, it's just like, uh, hey, we stare at the sun, but you know, there's nothing. It's not. It's not even we look to the sun. It's we stare at the sun. Like, it's a blank It, it feels stare. written intentionally when, when, empty. And that's yeah, why, like, the yeah, verse, the hit, music the verse seems... hits me, and it's electronic, and it's just, like, very stripped bare. And then we get a little bit right. more melodic content in the verse, and then it just, like, rips it back down to, like, such a barren verse. And, and I love it, because I love I love right. I, I do it. love it, but the but the music behind it is very is is very you know major mode. I don't think it's scary, but it's definitely not happy. It, it's not scary, but it's it's major mode ish. But it keeps the mix very empty, and the instrumentation that they use make it sound like you're alone, like you're you're in some vast expanse, whether it's the ocean or the desert. Or space, and it's really bright all around you, but you still feel very alone. Very interesting. Here's here's where I think this gets really cool. I think probably even with some of the songs on this first album, my mind is still in seventh grade me, to where I hear Maybe. where I hear it and just go, oh, happy song, cool. Probably because there's uh, there's nostalgia associated as well. Yeah, I just now that you're explaining it, I'm just like, oh yeah, I can I can see where you're saying. I just it, it never even crossed my mind that it had that kind of vibe. And that is my ear that's that's attuned to stuff like Alice in Chains, where it's the music behind it should be very happy, but something's off. And that's that's how it sounds to me is that there's something's not quite right, and and so that's why I think it's a great transition to the second half of the set song as we get to you know the darker song that comes after this, and I think the song after that that deals with a little bit of serious stuff from what I understand. I don't 
understand the lyrics fully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. obviously, Ethan is on your side with it, and that's. that's <laughs> There's no sides. Music is. Well, I know. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I just mean that he's he's also seeing it from your perspective, and I was just like, hmm, it's making me really rethink like, this. That bass, like that, and like in the way that the drums, it's like it it's pretty yes. intimidating. Like whenever yeah. I heard, it, I was just like, oh, like the way that it's it hits. Because I was listening to this in my car, and my car has pretty good speakers, and it just like rocked me. I was just like, "What is happening right now?" It would just hit me with mm-hmm. that growl, and it's like, bum, 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 bum. like even that's really dissonant. Like, yeah, and, and I guess like, also oh. when you when you throw in a lyric like uh, "Our eyes are burning out," we should have learned by now. Exactly. What is this song about? Please tell me. I uh, you know I'm actually not quite sure. <laughs> Lucas, now. Lucas is like I'm rethinking everything. I know. About this song. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go. What did you? What did you think rethink before? my life? <laughs> what do you? What do you think before? The very to least? me, it just it it seemed like it was about people that argue about things that don't matter. They they stare at their obsessions. And I guess the sun was always just metaphorical of just like looking at people that are just that are so consumed by things that are irrelevant and they just bicker and argue and they look for importance in in stuff that ultimately is just at the detriment to themselves. And I just I think that 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 whole bridge that's now from the perspective of you know they're saying the sky but it's you know pretty much can just be people that are not in the situation looking i'm just like look at these idiots look look how that may actually be what it is look how look how foolish they look they're they're arguing about literally nothing that may that may very well be what it is that that kind of fits a little bit have you guys uh, have you have you guys ever watched better call saul I have mm-hmm. seen clips. There, there is a a scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the show where um, Chuck, who's the character that has the elect, he's allergic to electricity, and he goes out into the neighborhood, which like all of the the radiation beams are hitting him, and it causes him pain. And and from his perspective, it's like this cosmic. Uh, painful hellish ordeal like he's hallucinating and he's got a space blanket wrapped around him to try and protect him and then for a brief moment it shows the perspective of what everyone else in the neighborhood sees and it's this crazy guy just like swatting at nothing and running around looking like an like a fool and that's the image that i have of this of just like you have this lunatic that's just like raving about what he thinks is important. And then everyone else is just kind of looking at him just like, he's kind of funny. <laughs> look look yeah. at him go. I look at this yeah. song lyrically as like the first glimpse of what's about to come content wise on the second album. Yeah. And again, now you're making, now I'm rethinking it and going, you know, I think you might be right. I don't think because it's like, are we off on a tangent? He doesn't say like, oh, they're off on like, I'm, I'm an observer, you know. 
he's part mm-hmm. of the thing that he's observing. And so he's like, it's almost like maybe he's starting to realize that he's been staring at the sun and he's like, uh oh. Yeah, because it's like, oh, or maybe it's just talking about the world in general. Poison in this. No one can even win this argument. And we're just standing at something looking for something to be there. And, and that's all that we're going to see is just the sun. And it doesn't represent anything. And our eyes are burning out of our sockets as we do it. See, I wonder now is if he's talking about just division of any kind you know like like there's no point in we as humanity or whatever group of human beings just in general there's no purpose to us arguing because in the end we're it's it's all futile we're going to do more harm to ourselves than good so it might be all of those things. Very well could be. Um, all right, we can, we can talk about what are our standout uh, parts of the song. Ethan? Oh, man. I love the verses. Uh, pretty much the intro, it just, like, establishes the song so well. And that, like, bass hit growl thing, I just love it. To me, it's just like any time that that is in there, the that little that keyboard line is really good. That part and like the drums kind of over that, and that just that that ominous like kind of electronic vibe. Anytime that that part's in there, I feel like that's the core of the song. Hmm. I'm I'm gonna have to agree with you on that intro. That it it's it sets the mood very nicely and it it makes you think that you're floating in space or something you know like like uh if you've ever seen the music video for oblivion the mastodon song i haven't it's it's it if you have you ever heard the song yeah i have it kind of sounds really ambient um that's that's how that's how the music video starts and so uh, that's just what it makes me think of and the fact that it can like call back to something else that really wasn't even written yet but it, it calls back to something in my mind very specifically but be completely different instrumentation completely different melody but just being able to come up with that mood i really like that and that's a that's a real art. Those yeah. drum fills at the beginning. The intro is my favorite part. Yeah, I was. He has, well, I was gonna say he has a way part. of playing drum fills that feel like a groove, but they're not. It just does. It doesn't feel like he's going off on a drum solo whenever he does drum solos. It feels so integrated into the song the way he's playing it. Yeah, and his swing is so tight. Yeah, he is the the way that he just will just switch into that swing shuffle it's just like his his wrists are so powerful (laughs) i've seen him live in action i don't know how he does it so then let's i think go to probably one of the most fascinating parts of not just the song but the set so we get to the end of the song and we get to where he's just kind of repeating and we stare at the sun and to me this is kind of really where 
the mood just starts to change. Like, yes, now I, I see the ominous parts that we're in before, but this is to where I think where it really becomes pronounced. The song yep, hasn't even changed yet, but you feel like you're just because you expect the song to end. Yeah. And you're and you're just like, oh, we're just gonna end on that chorus, cool, but then it's almost like it keeps going and it just keeps I hitting. honestly thought it was a breakdown. First time I heard it. Yeah. And then when that when it officially changed and that bass line comes in on obsolete, mm-hmm. it's literally almost like a switch flicks and all of a sudden now the entire mood has changed and we've entered into something not only completely different but completely awesome (laughs) yeah and it's almost like you're staring at the sun for so long and now you realize you've burned your eyes out and there's no going back Mm -hmm. and and this is the point of the set where now the sun is going past the horizon and it's it's turning to darkness you know and 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 it's it's mostly i would call this an instrumental song just because He's repeating a line from a previous song. It might as well be, yeah. There's that one vocal melody, but there's no real lyrics. Mm -hmm. It's it it. And so, did you include this because you wanted to get some representation for the instrumental songs that they usually have, or just because it flowed well and it kind of both? They actually they they actually have quite a few. Well. That's that's the stinky thing is that they stopped doing instrumental songs the further they got into their career, but their early stuff, like they have so many of them, and that's some of their best songs. Like, obsolete is number four on my list. Wow. Um, I think that this 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 is what an instrumental should be. It carries the song so well, and there's moments where every person in the band gets to have their moment to highlight. Like, obviously, it, the bass yeah. is what really propels this song. And he's actually playing on an upright, an electric upright on this song. <laughs> pretty awesome. I remember, it, I remember losing my mind when he brought that on the stage when I saw them live. It didn't feel like it was missing any lyrics. Mm-mm. ever like i i didn't ever think man when are they going to do another verse you know and and that's how i feel with some, and this is going to be heresy i know but that's how i feel with some of the metallica uh instrumentals is like it it just feels like it's missing something mm-hmm. but then you have like ghost who does miasma and that 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 I was like I was never missing anything. I felt like the song was complete, and that's the same way uh, it is with obsolete. The song is just complete, yeah, on its own. It, it it doesn't sound like it was originally a song that that had lyrics and they just ripped them out or they couldn't come up with anything. It's it's fantastic and and the weird thing is you mentioned that they have like their own little time to shine Mm -hmm. it's not it's not in the dream theater way where they all have solos yeah it's very much more in the let's get together and and jam way Mm -hmm. or like this instrument has a riff here that's just kind of more pronounced than normal yeah like the when the little piano bit comes in and does that great piano line mm-hmm. the, yeah. 
where it's just the piano. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that just that sounds like that sounds like an old like uh, MMO RPG <laughs> magic game, <laughs> you know, that you'd get on after school every day in second grade, and you'd play for hours on end. Yeah. And you have that that weird as heck drum breakdown where it's I don't know. And again, this is where I feel like the uh, the glitched drum machine uh, comparison really kind of can come in because there's like he puts hits in some of the weirdest places where it's just like no one would naturally think to ever do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why. Now, me knowing as much as I do about drumming, it almost makes it harder to play their songs because he does so many things constantly that's counterintuitive mm-hmm. to where you're just like, it's you, you have to fight your instincts to even do it. Mm-hmm. Ethan, yeah. Ethan, what do you think about the song? I, I love, I mean, how can how can I not put obsolete as my favorite song in the set? <laughs> oh my god! I I think I actually will say no. It's actually not the highest ranked song, but as far as my personal, I think this is my personal favorite of the set. I appreciate this song for being an instrumental and kind of what Grant said. It's like everyone gets their little time. Everyone gets to, uh, and I say their time. Once, once everyone that's listening to this, once you listen to the songs, you'll see what I'm talking about. Where it's like, it's not like it's the drummer's turn, it's the bass player's turn, it's the keyboard player's turn. Oh, it's this, you know. It, it, they it, do it in such a compositionally smart way. It's just like every, every, every little bit of it. You just. You're just like, oh wow, the drums are really good on this, and you just think that. But it's like mm-hmm. it, it, the song never loses the groove. It, it never like, and that's why I don't think I have like a favorite part on this because it's like it all just flows so seamlessly into the into the next part that yeah. I'm not like, oh yeah, the 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 last part was really good, you know, compared to the middle, which was terrible. You know, it's like it was all like. It all just like compositionally is a good word. Compositionally, from the beginning to the end, the way that they grow it is impressive. Without it was totally. It, I agree. It was totally stream of consciousness. Yeah, I, I, I got lost in this song because the song's like four and a half minutes yeah. of of um, just instrumental. And if you look at that from the outside, you're just like four and a half, almost five minutes of just like chill vibes music and it's like yeah but like no (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah but in a good way you know yeah um yeah and then just the the atmosphere of the song there's just there's this you know there's this tension that's constantly growing and it definitely releases after the drum breakdown and Mm -hmm. the vocals come back in really strong at the end that's that's the best part. Yeah, there's definitely it's definitely the release of the tension that's kind of building really since the beginning of Stare at the Sun. Now, again, you've recontextualized that whole song for me. Thank you. 
Um, and it just, for me, like when I first started to build this set, I knew that I wanted this, this duo of songs to be kind of, well, I guess the centerpiece of the set mm. where it was just like, I didn't, I like I knew I was going to put typical. I was like, there's no other way I'm going to start the set. And I know that I've got to have stare at the sun obsolete in the middle somewhere. Do you think that the- whenever they were reporting this, that they just were in the studio? Do you think that they planned to put this on there? Well, no, because they said that they were rehearsing the song and they just kept going when they should have ended. And that's when they got the idea of, well, let's just make this a song. It was, it was a, it was a, now they, of course, they didn't jam it out yeah. that way originally. There was just more of that gave them the idea and they kind of sat down to properly compose it. But that's, that's where the, the genesis of the idea came from was them fooling around just being musicians. Yeah. Yeah. The fun of being a musician, one would say. And again, this is why I love that first record is just there were so many instrumental. Now, this is the most substantial instrumental interlude of that album. Most of the rest of them are about half a minute to a minute long, but they always carry something from the previous song forward with them. And so you just you feel like you're listening to this continuously evolving piece of music. Yeah, yeah. Like you've like you've still got like yes yes you've got the, the groove but like how they bring out the that drum groove of the ba like you know they didn't have to reach all the way back to stare at the sun to do that that was just that was an intentional thing of let's let's keep the continuity here and I think that that's really cool. And so the song ends in a very interesting way. Oh, yeah. This is where the Devin Townsend weirdness comes in. Where you got that that swelling whatever the heck it is. I yeah, don't I don't know, know how to accomplish that. Some, it's something keyboard, I'm sure. Yeah. But originally on the album, it goes into a big banger of a song. But you didn't put it here? No. I kind of thought let's subvert expectation a little bit. Let's make you think it's going to build into something and then just cut out. And I thought that that could be a chilling way to start the final song of our set, Burden. Now, this is the second time recently that you've ended a set with a song named Burden. Yeah, that was actually not (laughs) intentional. I realized that after the fact. (laughs) But I did realize, I was like, oh yeah, we're doing another ending song called Burden. So, why did you end with this song, particularly thematically? Well, um, one thing that is really trademark Mute Math is, and it's, it's all over their first album, is that they have a lot of these low, graceful moments where kind of everything drops out, it gets really ambient. But I didn't have any of that yet in the set. But I kind of wanted to have one last moment of uh, subverted expectations. Because you have no idea that that moment at the end of this song is going to come when the Mm -hmm. song starts. 
And I think that that actually makes for a great because this is this is the song that ends the Armistice record. Hmm. And hmm. I think that just this is a song that I think fools you the first time you listen to it because if you don't look at how long the song is, yeah, because it's a nine minute track. If you don't look at it, you're listening to a thing, and this is just going to be another typical song. Mm-hmm. But then I think that just the way that it all of a sudden keeps turning in ways you don't expect it to, yeah. like it can, it takes you so by surprise. And by the end of it, you're really almost kind of shook by it to where you're just kind of like, what, what did, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And I think that it actually is a really poignant way, I think, to end the set with just kind of this big musical journey. And um, and yeah, kind of ending on a very um, somber note because this song is all about just kind of a breakdown of belief and confidence Mm-hmm. the you know the burden of of your faith just kind of wondering if you can hold it anymore the expectation the the um disappointing the people around you and wondering if you can continue to make the right choices and and hope that the dirt is wearing off recognizing that you're now looking at yourself and you're covered in dirt and you're and you're constantly trying to get it off but you're just now hoping that it will hmm. and then just that refrain of I just can't hold it together it's a cry for help mm-hmm. yeah yeah in in a really weird way, this song has two very distinct moods, mm-hmm. and and one of them, at least compositionally, and and one of them is very upbeat, very scared, um, uh, as as if like you are like it's now night and you like you just. You don't want to go to sleep, so you go out to some like bar, or some club to try to distract yourself. Mm-hmm. And then it's, almost, and then, it's like you have them. I'm gonna make another Breaking Bad reference here. Um, it's I think there's a good allusion to Jesse Pinkman after when he's grappling with the fact that he yeah. killed Gail, and he's constantly having this partying going on around him. But then that Boiler scene works. of all of a sudden everything turns to white noise and he's just like having a panic attack in the middle of this party when he's, he's got all these people around him, but he's like desperately alone. I I would say, I would say that moment is, is like the peaceful agony. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's all internal and, and, and nothing around you is necessarily happening. And, and it's because of the fact that nothing's happening that you have to face the reality of what's happening inside mm-hmm. you and that's when that um reverby part where i don't know what what lyric is it uh it's uh the devil is not the nature that is around us devil yeah, is within where, us yeah. all 
where he sings that and um it it, it it's in a very different way from stare at the sun where stare at the sun makes you feel like you're alone but everything around you is very bright and very illuminated and you can see where everything is even though you're still alone um it's it's more of it's more of an innocent i don't understand what's happening but burden is more of i understand all of it but i don't want to i wish i didn't and there's a bunch of darkness around me like i'm in i I get in, you know, my car and I'll just keep driving until I run out of gas kind of feeling that it gives the, that that interlude has. And especially even more so when it, where he kind of opens up and he just hits that one note and the reverb just drowns the whole thing and the drums come back in. That is the greatest part of the set. <laughs> the set built up to that part. It's not my favorite song. Typical is my favorite song. But that's my favorite part of the set because it just, it, it, compositionally this set, you, you built a really good set this time. Compositionally, this set built up to that moment of kind of just it's it's a realization but you don't really realize what you realized yeah <laughs> that's the only way i can describe it i don't know i don't yeah. know how to, to me, articulate the rest of, of what to me, i mean musically there's like four parts to this song there's really? you have the first part which is like what you said like probably more angry i mean the, like you get you got your ka 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 which is like, you know, yeah, it's a little bit. It tries to move, drive it a little bit more. You know, I don't know what. I'd have to go back and look at the lyrics, but he sounds more like. Um, and you can you can uh, I guess inform me on this Lucas, but he sounds more like accusatory, you know, mm-hmm. where he's like, "This is this way, this is this way," you know, all this whatever, you know. Yeah, and then musically, in the second part. I, I, Grant, I like the word that you use where it's like more like kind of like scared, you know? Because mm-hmm. then we go to this mm-hmm. super dissonant, super dissonant, you know? Like the drums are kind of doing their thing, the guitar lines kind of in this creepy thing, you know? Oh yeah. No, like when, like after the breakdown, it's like. Oh, during the kind of when he's doing all the the little drum fills so it's like then we get there it's like so after he goes through all of that we're kind of in this like really unsettled place you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then the third part of the song is that i mean it breaks way down and it's not dissonant anymore it's very introspective you know what i mean and there's no drums and I don't know the lyrics here, but like musically, it's setting up to be like, okay, like it's almost like he's having a conversation with himself, you know, mm-hmm. is the vibe. And then what you would normally expect, because th- it stays on that a long time, you know, and the drums kind of come in, there's a little bit more resolve. And then the song ends back kind of scared and confused musically, you know. It it almost feels like now it's hollow. Like when the, yeah. when the, Especially yes. when the drum fill comes back in, 
Like yeah. it's yes. just it's it's big. It's re, but there's no instrumentation. It's just the drums. Yeah. It's a, and it just feel it feels like there's there's just there's an empty shell yeah. now. And I think this song is. Yes, like, I'm so glad like, you said that. This oh song, gosh. I'm mad, yes, and it's a little bit scary what I've realized about the world. And then he's he kind of comes to acceptance of it but his acceptance still doesn't even matter it's not an acceptance in the way that that um, he's at peace with it right he's at peace with it like like at the end of hallowed be thy name or something it's like acceptance this is just how it is not even that it's 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 a it's a haunting realization of just oh no i i'm Oh no! I royally ruined things. I've, I'm, I now have no idea what to do, and I'm gonna sink into mm-hmm. oblivion. Yeah, and and I think that that the mood and whether this was intentional or not, that those hits with the hi hat and the kick drum that the that the uh, uh, kind of the drum solo, the scared is part um, is it sounds like a march. Mm-hmm. And the thing about marches is in when you're hearing it, you, there is nothing you can do because that signals a large force that's moving in to occupy and whatever their will is, that's what's going to happen. You can't, you have no say anymore. And, and I'm glad that I realized this, that I realized this as we were talking about it, that that's really kind of the, the mood that it gives me, whether it gives you that or not. Um, because I originally, the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, cool, like drum solos and stuff. But that's, it really does, you really get that hollow feeling of this is it now, I yeah. guess. I don't really understand what to do. Because I can't really do anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. It goes back to confusion until the end of the song. And it just cuts out. Yeah, and I think also, again, we're, we're before... It goes back to the just drums when it's that when the drum beat comes in while it's still ambient. Um, mm-hmm. This is, I think, where he probably uses his glitched yeah. drumming technique to its most emotionally effective because it just, again, it feels like something that's unraveling almost. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and he does some mixing stuff with it yeah. too. You know, he'll. He'll play the main the main drum beat in a center channel, you know how, where you'd normally have drums. But then he'll have these offbeat hits that'll be off to the left, you know, hard left or hard right or whatever. Like there's three drum tracks that he's laying down at the same time, and it it gives you a sense of space and right that glitchiness of just being jolted around, you know, every other way, whether it's emotionally or physically or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the the weird sounds that are slowly building mm-hmm. up. It's almost the sound of insanity. And wherever that bass comes in with that, like, kind it of does, haunting yeah. keys line, the, the... And it's just, like, really dissonant, and it's just building on that. It's so good. Yeah. How can Burden not be my favorite song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it it's number two on my rank. What's your list. number one? Ooh, number one is actually not on here. I'm not going to say what it is because you want us to go 
hit the link in the description. That's right, boys. That's how you get them. Uh huh. That's how you get them. We'll, we'll talk about it in the after hours. Sure, we will. <laughs> the um, it does. I'm glad you mentioned that. It sounds like you're going into insanity. Because at that's 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 what it's like for patients who, and I know I think we talked about this during one of the after hours, for patients with dementia, mm-hmm. you know, as they as they go through the stages, that eventually by the end they they unfortunately really are a hollow yeah. shell. And I think this song represents the knowing that you are falling into dementia. Yeah. And that's that that's that's begs that question of would you rather know that or not? And knowing it is almost, in my opinion, scarier yeah. because you have no control over what's going to happen. Like you have no control. You know the the army armed forces are marching in. You have no control over your mental state anymore. Anyway. I think we've harped on this long enough. Yes. Um, I, I just, I think that this was just a really interesting and unexpected way to end the set because it's one of those things you don't realize that the set is leading you this direction until you get there. And then you look backwards and you go, Oh, we've been marching towards this inevitably this whole time. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. Lucas, what's your favorite song? Um, on the set, yeah. uh, man, obsolete just hits me in all the right spots. Even though I will objectively say that burden is the superior song, and it's really close, there's just something about obsolete that just like I can't get enough of it. Yeah, Grant, you said yours was typical. Mine is typical. You've got to. It's just Ethan. I'm. I'm gonna say that I agree with Lucas that burden is on paper if I was a music critic and I had these six songs in front of me it was like which song is the best song I would pick burden but stare at the sun hits me in a way that whenever whenever I heard it it's it's like you guys know, like, whenever you're first listening to the sets and you're preparing for the podcast, like, at least for me, because I didn't, I, I didn't know uh, these songs other than typical before I listened. Stare at the Sun was the one that I listened to like five times before I went to the next song. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, you just get to a song wow. where you're just like, wow, that was so good. And, and, and even though all the other songs are great, because I, I mean, they're all great in their own way. And Burden especially, I think, I, I said this about Typical at the beginning where um, it it gives the representation of what mute math is. I actually now am rescinding that and I'm saying I think that Burden is probably actually mute math at its, at its uh, songwriting at its and cool. potential strongest yeah. in terms of all of the faces that they show and in terms of their flexibility in their songwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but Stare at the Sun is just like the sounds and and the way that the song is structured and, and the vibe. It is just so unique. I, I don't know if I if there's a song that fits in the same mood as Stare at the Sun. 
that is as good as it. Yeah. So yeah, and the you you brought it up good. The the way that I designed the the ranked playlist again is me trying to think more like the critic. Yeah. Or I'm trying to leave as much of my personal preference out of it. But I mean, obviously that's physically impossible to do because there's just going to be, but I try to do it as best I could. That's why, again, obsolete is the song I like personally better, but bird and I rank higher on the playlist. This is a good set list, Lucas. This was, thank you. I actually, very good. This, this set list changed so many times. You will not believe it was good. Uh, I'll probably talk more about that in the after hours. Because that's good after and, hours. And, or maybe the to final talk about the different iterations. So I think we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we'll give our final thoughts. And um, yeah, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan Scott, and welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished our second segment which is talking about the songs we are talking about mute math uh just a refresher we got typical armistice blood pressure stare at the sun my personal favorite obsolete and (laughs) burden and uh, now we are uh gonna talk about our final thoughts so grant uh i guess through this episode i remember talking in the after hours last week you were you were excited about uh, the episode because you kind of heard Mute Math thrown around. I I was because uh, I I never formally been introduced to them until this podcast. I had never went to go out and hunt for their music. It just it for whatever reason it never happened. But um, I have a very great friend of mine who is so into Mute Math and he's also into Rush. And I'm trying to get him into Dream Theater because I think he'd be a great Dream Theater fan. Um, Convert him. He's totally into the prog stuff. So, um, but about me being one of his top bands, and it'd be one of the very few bands that whenever he mentioned his top bands of, of any given time, it would always be there, but it would always be the one that I just, I would not, recognize and so I'm glad that we had this episode so I could get introduced to Mute Math and listening through the songs I kind of didn't really have as much of an appreciation for them as much as I do now I liked Typical I really liked Armistice Stare at the Sun was really great but the other ones even though they were still good songs. They kind of fell by the wayside comparatively, but I can't discount. I got to learn to not discount our conversation about the music. I usually, my final thoughts will be just about me listening to the music on my own and what that has done. But really I've learned so much just by our conversations about new math. Mm-hmm. And you can't discount that. I've grown in my appreciation for them more over the past two hours than listening to the music, Mm. than actually being introduced to them. 
And so having that extra level of kind of lore behind them, and also the fact that, Lucas, you did construct a really great set. It had a great emotional work. Yeah, I agree. You talk about that all the time, and every once in a while you'll have a set that just kind of there i hate to break it to you but you know, i mean you know um, uh, i can't but, i can't knock them out of the park all the time you, you can't knock them out of the park all the time especially if it's a, a a band that's very monolithic like megadeth even though that was still a really good set um but but this set had such a good emotional arc and us talking about the different things that we liked about it bringing different things that we noticed that we loved to light was really really cool because i to i totally latched on to completely different things that you guys did and i appreciated things that were completely different than what you guys appreciated and hearing you guys talk passionately about things that i just skipped over mentally is really really cool for this podcast and also for mute math because maybe I should go back and listen to those songs again and see if I notice something else now. And that's something that I rarely feel at the end of an episode. You know, usually at the end of an episode, I'm like, Oh, we got to get final thoughts done so I can listen to the next band or whatever. But, but really I think that there's more to be listened to just in these songs Mm -hmm. as if they're enigmas in and of their own, in and of themselves. Yeah, I I would agree to tack on with that. Um, My favorite, I I think the reason that this podcast even exists is to open people's ears to um, to listening to music that is, uh, I guess, new and here. I I think I, I wouldn't say that any of us are professional music critics. You know what I mean? Oh no! But but in terms of hearing different people talk about it, hearing what they're pulling out of it musically or lyrically, or or what their thoughts are about the band, I think that's hopefully for the listeners out there. Like that's a part of. I mean, that's why you need to go listen to the songs for yourself, and then that's why you need to listen to this afterwards, and so you can kind of be a part of it. But I would agree. Like, you listen to Mute Math by yourself or any set by yourself. And then you come back to the table and whenever you have to actually talk about it and hear everyone else's opinions, your, your opinions change. I, I would say my opinion has probably changed the most on, uh, and again, I kind of hinted to this in the last thing, like I came in and I knew typical because everyone knows typical, you know? And I'm like, this is the pinnacle mute math song so of course i listen to the set and typical's first one i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be my favorite one and then mute math just has such a wide array of um songs and styles of songs and ways that they can play it and i'm sad that they couldn't find uh the through line and i actually think it's good to study bands that are still making good music that never uh, hit it big because I think that there's something to learn about the people that did make it big whenever you study the people that like couldn't quite make it and I think Mute Math's ultimate failure was that 
what we can look back kind of hindsight 2020 is like mute math had a sound like we all can be like yes what's the mute math sound and in whatever weird way that we're describing music with our words we can kind of all understand like okay they do here's kind of the thing and i'm sad that it's almost like they didn't figure that out for themselves Mm-hmm. and lean into it and and evolve with that being kind of their root thing it's like we can evolve but this won't change and i feel like they changed so much and and didn't really latch on to the one thing that made mute math mute math and whenever we look at all these other songs like we talked about or artists like we talked about Coldplay and we talked about even Metallica and we talked about all these bands that have had monumental shifts there's still core things that like Metallica's Metallica Coldplay's always going to be Coldplay but I feel like Mute Math became not Mute Math hmm and so I think it's just a good principle I mean if anyone out there is songwriters or as we listen it's like we can obviously and Lucas picked the set and it's amazing but he picked songs that like mute math was being the best mute math that they were you know uh, and so it's sad to see a band that had so much potential and had so much of their own distinct sound um not understand how to latch on to that for themselves wow hmm. um this this episode is very personal for me. Like I was saying, this was kind of the band that really kicked off everything for me, even though they were not the first band I ever listened to. I really give that to Coldplay and journey and Genesis. Those are kind of the first three that I, but mute math was the first band that made me understand how good music really could be. And how it could be just more than music, that it can be an artistic statement. Um, And I will always be indebted to them for that. They were kind of the first band to kind of, it's a music isn't just a good song that you can hum along to. Like there's that there can be details hidden throughout the music that, the more you uncover them, the more the music rewards you. It's like your first serious girlfriend. Yeah. Instead of just, you know, having your, your playground girlfriend. And she breaks your heart. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Mute Math broke my heart so many times. (laughs) More so than any other band ever has. On again, off again kind of thing. Yeah, or just like, you know, the girlfriend that as you go backwards, you're just like, you realize you have more memories that you look fondly back on. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? That that part of our relationship was actually pretty good now that I think back on it. and That is such a good analogy. Wow. And also, uh, they were my first ever concert. Wow. Well, okay. And so... Yeah. I saw them at the Canes Ballroom uh, with a friend of mine. I mean, I had been to concerts before, but not to go see a band that I loved. That was the first time that I was like, this is a band that I'm invested in, that um, that I know all the songs to, and I'm like part of a crowd that's there to see them. And... I still regard that as one of the best concerts I've ever been to because it was just like, wow, okay. 
after after all of that i'm in i'm into this whole music thing (laughs) and i just there's just an immeasurable debt that i owe to them for setting me along this path and um i felt like because of the fact that they had made so much music that at the time I was so disappointed in, they weren't a band that I ever like had gone back and really thoroughly studied before. And to kind of try and dissect why that music at that time either made me feel so good or make me dislike it so much. And I feel like I have a much different view and attitude about the band than I did when I was a youngster. And um, I now understand so much more of why they did the things that they did. I understand why they wrote the, the kinds of songs that they did. And um, I feel like I kind of have like a new found relationship with them. So... I'm glad that we did this episode. It was a good one. It was a good episode. I I had a lot of fun. And hopefully you guys had a lot of fun listening to us. Thank you so much for um, taking a chance on probably an artist that you're not familiar with. And um, we're really glad that uh, you stuck around with us. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button. And leave us a comment on what artists you would like for us to cover in the future. Make sure you check out the links in the episode that take you to our, in- our not our Instagram page, our Patreon page, <laughs> as well as the uh, Spotify playlist. And I'll also throw in the link to that Mute Math Ranked playlist, yeah. just for you guys that want a little bit extra. Um. Make sure to find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, and on YouTube. And next week, we are going back to the 70s, what I always say is is probably my favorite era of music. It's and definitely. we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about a band that to a certain extent was also much underappreciated but their legacy it has become powerful and that is ELO short for Electric Light Orchestra yeah and I am very excited to do that episode so make sure that you tune in next week 9am central and those of you that are uh, patrons make sure to to, uh, check out our after hours for this episode And that's all I got. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.